Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Woodzik. I use they, them pronouns, and this is our first episode of 2020. This is episode 135 with the remarkable Devin James, who I just met in person for the first time yesterday, and she is delightful, super talented, big-hearted, and we talked about all the things. She's currently acting in The Secretary, playing now through February 22nd at Curious Theatre Company. This play is amazing, y'all. All-female cast, one of the most fascinating scripts I've ever encountered in my life, and an ending that will leave your jaw on the floor. Please go, 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 go. Get your tickets for this. You don't want to miss this one. This episode, we're featuring one of my favorite businesses, Perfect Pronouns. You can go to perfectpronouns.com Because visibility for the transgender community is a life or death issue, but pronoun usage isn't just for trans people. Do your part to bring visibility to pronoun usage for all and treat yourself to perfect pronoun pins to make you feel visible. This is a great way to normalize gender diversity and introduction. You know, when you're introducing folks to use your pronouns, Sam is an amazing theater artist. They're based out of Seattle, but they travel as well with amazing work that they've created. And they've created a special code for y'all. So if you visit perfectpronouns.com and use the code MUSTANG10, that's MUSTANG10, the word Mustang, and then the number one and the number zero, at checkout, you're going to get 10% off your order. This is a great thing to have for yourself, and it's a really super sweet gift to give to your loved, gender-diverse individual in your life. So make sure you check out perfectpronouns.com. And now please enjoy episode 135 with Devin James. excited to welcome the first guest to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast 2020, Devin James. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Before we go further, what pronouns do you use, Devin? I'm she, her. Thank you so much. Got it off to a great inclusive start. So we are sitting here in the dressing room, Curious Theater. I'm so excited to see the secretary tonight. Can you talk a little bit about what the show is about, how long it runs, where people can get their tickets, and why they want to see this show. Sure. I mean, it's incredibly relevant. It is a comedy, a dark comedy, about guns. It's the question of people don't, uh, guns don't kill people, people kill right. people. Um, it's that whole thing. But Kyle has basically taken it, and it's like the office with less men and more guns. <laughs> and so it's basically like he has taken a nice little uh, spoonful of sugar and allowed the information to go down a little bit more sweetly. Um, it's very, very funny. It's a team of, you know, badass women and just kicking it. So it's it's a lot of really challenging information, but I think what he does so well is allow us to see a different perspective or gain an insight where we might actually choose a different route like maybe we might consider using a gun it's definitely not a pro-gun play it's I wouldn't even call it an anti-gun play it's really just a play about the conversation and opening up in a way where we can have more of a a better more um, productive conversation totally I love that I'm I'm leaning in I'm engaged (laughs) I uh can you tell me about so Christy Montour Larson Mm -hmm. Incredible director. So good. Can you tell me about your castmates? Because I know, I think I know almost all of them, and it is sort of like the who's who of powerhouse feminine theatrical goodness. For sure. Kathy Brady has been in this community for many, many moons. Many people know her here, if not everyone who's been going to the theater for any given amount of time. She was part of the Denver Center Theater Company for a very long time. Um, she, she actually was one of the original people brought in, um, from the beginning. So, um, she has just been around for a lifetime. So she's amazing. Love working with her. This is my third time to work with her. Um, Karen Slack, I think this is my second or third time, definitely my second to work with her. She's amazing. Just, um, Emma Messenger, 
just again powerhouse first time to work with her but she's such a great soul everyone is incredibly collaborative um, we have um, Adeline Mann who is you know the youngest in the cast but she brings such a she brings exactly what that character needs which is this that, that youthful perspective that new you know charging perspective from the younger generation and um, and then we have Leslie O'Carroll which is just a hilarious human being and um, a joy to work with also my first time to work with her um, so it's it's just been really exciting to get to work with all of these women who are you know easy and fun and come prepared and bring everything they have to the table and that's always a joy before we get to tickets and, and when y'all mm-hmm. run until can you talk there's something I've experienced I was lucky enough in my MFA program after the first semester it was a group of all of us were assigned female at birth there were a couple of gender diverse folks but it's just a, just an amazingly different energy in the room i find mm-hmm. when there are no cisgender men in the room mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about that energy and how that's different from other productions you've worked on yeah i think well, I mean, this, that's just such a hard question because, I mean, to be honest, it's some. It really depends upon the person a lot of times. But yes, the it is there is something relaxing about being with people that aren't, you know, monitoring themselves too much or putting a lot of the just the hetero vision upon, especially a topic about guns. Um, I think that's that's something I love about that Kyle's been able to do. Crazy enough, written by a man, um, but wrote six women beautifully and so fun. Um, but it takes away that that sort of um, aggression or that that dominance or um, I don't know. There's just a layer of it's it's just really hard to explain. That's just a hard question. It's full of so many answers. It's almost unnameable. It really is. And but I. I think it's a great experience. It's a great opportunity for sure. And um, I'm trying to think if there's been any other time where it's just been, yeah. No, I have worked with other women, like all women before for, um, and I, I don't know. You don't have to worry about anyone necessarily. It, it's never about relationships, you know, funny enough. It's never about relationships. It's never about this. It's just we're there being women, having these heartful conversations, and that's great. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your insight there. When do y'all run to and what's the best way for folks to get tickets? We end on the 22nd. We run Thursday through Sunday. It's Thursday through Saturday, which is a 7.30 go. So the curtain goes at 7. You definitely want to come and get a drink up at the bar. This is an old converted church. Um, So it is a really cool venue. Um, and so you get the bar upstairs, come, and there's really not a bad seat in the house. However, I will say if you can get a balcony seat, those are, I think that's a really great place to sit. If you are a first timer or you can have a first time, um, email, you can use code first time and get $20 tickets. Um, and then the Sunday performances are at two. They are a matinee. It runs less than two hours, no intermission, which is also great. I like a fast and furious (laughs) show, I will admit. Um, so it's about one forty-eight, I think, altogether. And uh, yeah, the ending will be something you probably have never seen before. So that is something to look forward to. <gasps> that's that's such a fantastic, mysterious invitation. <laughs> Enigmatic. I love it. I can't wait to see it tonight. And I'll let you all know in the intro that you will have heard before this um, some of my thoughts and, and exciting interactions with the play. So excited. I want to pivot now to... A community that you've built mm-hmm. online. Actors with intention. With intention, yeah. Tell me where that came from. I So I started working online about four years ago. And when you get involved with building a business or you're working online, you're going to start finding there's you know a, a ton of coaching, there's a ton of information, there's a ton of training, there's a ton of books like you would anything else, right? And what I found that a lot of people online are getting is a lot of mindset support and organizational support and we're a business and I it the more I started creating a business online the more I realized how much of a business I already had and I was doing a lot of things organically I've built I was you know working full-time as an actor before I got pregnant and now I'm back you know pretty much full-time 
um, after now that he's five years old, but I, I went to grad school. I did the, all the things, but you don't, you aren't given a lot of information about how to craft your business. And you definitely are not given the tools to have the right mindset to sustain it. Especially when we are in an industry where we are taking down a lot of um, programs or even the kind of programs that want to tear you down to build you up. And when you are facing that constantly, that constantly facing yourself in comparison and all the, all the crap that really <sighs> just makes it feel like, how am I going to sustain this? And you just put your career in everyone else's hands, right? And I, I saw that and it just, it just became crystal clear to me that I was like, gosh, I, I started wanting, you know, more people to experience what I was experiencing. And what I found was that people didn't really want to take it in the p- package that I was originally packing it in, Right. And I thought, gosh, like, but I, I'm so genuine about like wanting people to have that knowledge. So I'm like, well, how can I pivot? How can I pivot that? Like, how can I take this and take all the knowledge I've gained? You know, I've, I've taught courses. I've taught, I've, I've done all these other great programs. I'm like, why can't I then translate that online? And then I'm like, well, then again, I don't want people to feel like it has to be something that they're buying all the time. I don't want to feel like it's always about selling something. I, I, you know, and any great business offers a lot of things for free and a lot. And then that, that idea of like, well, then what can I offer for free was like, why can't it be a community? And then why can't it be about bringing other people to lift other people doing the same stuff that want the same thing and how can we therefore rise upon with each other to create a community to get more money into more more artists hands so that they're creating more meaningful art so that we can continue a sustainable lifestyle because I believe in that I don't I don't love I think the term starving artist is really horrifically used. I don't think it should ever be used, even if it is reality, even if it has been reality. I think that we get to decide the reality we take. And I just wanted to pass that on because it doesn't have to be such a horrible struggle to to gain the things you want. And I also found um, being someone who never really wanted to go and make it in LA or go and make it in New York. Same. I wanted, right. I wanted to live in a place that was artistic. I wanted a family. I wanted to pay my bills and I wanted to go and do normal things like have a vacation. And (laughs) you know what I'm saying? And I wanted to be in a collaborative community. And I found that here in Denver. Um, It's not for everyone. I think it's great when people really want those things, but I think it's not great when people want them because they think they have to. So to educate people on, you know, you know what, if I, if I can give you them, if I can help you gain the mindset to grow your own thing, to find your own work, to find your own people, to, to do all that, then that to me is like really fulfilling. So that's what, that's just, that's a lot, long story for what we have, but that's what we're growing. So I love that so much. A, a couple things. I just, I, I, I say this a lot, dear listeners who have been with me for a while, um, I, I nod enthusiastically and was very much doing so the entire time, uh, which you cannot see, but hopefully you <laughs> felt energetically through your uh, earpods, uh, AirPods. <laughs> but a couple of things, this idea, like this idea that comparison is the thief of joy, mm-hmm. right? And I think the actors that I want to be around, the theater makers and artists that I want to be around are the people who do not see someone else's success as their failure, mm-hmm. um, who want to invest in their artistic community and want to have that in nonprofit. My 20s was in nonprofit development and marketing. We talk in terms of visioning for nonprofits, this idea of a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. I want all of the actors that I love and care for so much, I want us all to have a piece of the pie so that we don't have to drive, lift, and do side hustles as much as we do. I want everyone to have that and leading with compassion and empathy and just meeting folks and and pairing, you need to meet this person and creative matchmaking. That's very much where I live. And I think we've been perhaps not educated, as you're saying, educated or trained to think about it in that way. And I'm really excited for this new super queer generation of theater artists that's getting trained up who sort of intrinsically walks that talk of diversity, equity, and inclusion and, and 
moving everyone forward. I think that's a really brilliant thing. And I also want to thank you for some of the offerings that you have in the group. As someone who is neurodiverse, it's so helpful to have stuff. You break things down so beautifully in bite-sized pieces because uh, in learning about these new neurodiversity diagnoses I have gotten in the last year, this idea of there's this big scary goal of, of, of wanting to be a working actor, whatever that means to anyone. And between my intention and that end goal of what I think it might be, a lot of it drops out for me of like, what are the steps? Mm -hmm. And so I love that you started to code that and break that down for folks to have access to. Can you talk a little bit about your process of taking your experience and distilling it in a way that other people can then take and use for their career? I will sure try. Yeah. Uh, but first of all, I'll comment on the, the intention part too, because that's a really important thing that I missed is that, you know, we know as actors that we are most successful when our intention is clear. Right. And, and then a director will call bullshit immediately. If they're like, like, what do you want? What are you doing? Yeah. That's their, that's their first question. And you're, and if you are like, fuck, then you know, then (laughs) that you're just trying to sound right or look right. Like, you know what I'm saying? So when you get under the intention, you get under the clarity, it's the same thing with your goals, right? When you know exactly what you want your life to feel like, so then you go, what makes me feel like that? Is it more vacation? Is it traveling? Do I want to be an actor who does regional work? Do I want to be an actor who loves this community and spends a lot of time here because I want to root myself? Do I want to be in that hustle in New York? When you know what that joy is, right? Then then so that's what I basically do. If this answers the question is I kind of help people go, let's look at this broad picture. What do I really want? What are all the things that are important to me? So then let's bubble those up and then let's break them down into those bite-sized chunks so we know what a day-to-day activity means. So you're not taking on this giant goal. You're breaking it down into a bite-sized piece that's a day-to-day little activity that's going to lead to big results. And then you're going to see within a year's time or even month's time. I mean, you never know. When you get your mindset right like when, and open yourself up to miracles as a you know, is a silly word, but it's the truth. I love when you, it. When you open yourself up to anything is possible, like sometimes you never know. You Like when people, I tell people all the time when they get upset about an audition or they get upset about that, I'm like, do you know that my first my first thing that I booked here was because somebody else had to get pulled out. I got pulled in during tech week to the Denver Center. And because I got that, because I got that role, it opened all these other doors for me that I never saw coming. I was working one of the hardest nanny jobs I had ever worked in my entire life. I came to this family out of like just from a phone call on like and a and a Zoom call. Right. Moved here, like started working with this family. I was like kicked in like the throat. Like it yep. was it was a horrific thing going through that. And like I didn't, I sent in a video to them. I didn't even go in. You never know. So, so my process is really just helping people have the mindset. It's break. It's breaking down what what people want to hear. And then so then as I'm creating content, I'm looking for ways to help people open up their eyes or their 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 mind to ah I'm missing that right so then then we have a we have an open door for a conversation for you know what we can do to help if that's something you're struggling with I love that so much thank you for sharing that I want a couple things that were um switches that flipped while you were saying that I don't know if you've read uh Rakim Lawrence who is just one of my favorite humans in this market. Um, he recommended Leslie Odom Jr.'s book, Failing Up. Mm-hmm. And he starts the book framing the story. His father-in-law is a casting professional. And he was having some level of you know success booking, um, booking work, a lot, a lot of procedurals like here and there. And, but he wasn't getting what he thought he deserved in terms of the industry. And so he uh, reached out to his father-in-law and he was like, I think, you know, I think I'm done. Like, I think this is pre-Hamilton, right? It's like, I think I'm done. You know, I've, I've done the grind. It's not manifesting the way that I want it to. So I think, like, can you tell me more about casting or, like, where else you might see me, like, if I want to pivot into another leg of my career? And his father-in-law said something along the I'm paraphrasing, something along the lines of, well, yeah, like, if that's what you want to do, I'm happy to have that conversation for you, with you. But I'd really like to see you try before you stop. And this idea that we get in our own way so much as actors, and I think just as humans in general. And so he was able to reframe that for himself as, 
if I feel that I'm complaining, like instead of going from this place of what I don't have, I want to take one actionable step each day towards whatever career I'm working on, whether that's learning a new monologue, listening to a podcast with an actor you really admire. And as part of that, he, uh, when, when the Hamilton development reading was at, I forget which school it was, um, it was very small theater and he knew he wanted to be in that room. And so he started cultivating a relationship with the front of house staff. And because they knew him so well, that's how he got in to see that Lin-Manuel Miranda knew he was there. So he was top of, top of the list. And it's, that was life-changing for me. The thing, like, it's much more productive instead of complaining about what you don't have. Okay, great. What are you going to do? What are you going to do then mm -hmm. to get you closer towards your goal? Um, and I think you're really beautiful in the way that you line, lay that out for folks in that, in your group. And it was leading to a question and I've forgotten what the question is, but what, if you had to distill, when you work with folks, what are some of the, oh, this is what I wanted to say. And also I just finished writing my first academic, my first book chapter, which is a very wild thing to say. <laughs> and it's about trans and non-binary contestants on RuPaul's Drag Race. And I remember sitting down to write that, to start the edits. And I was procrastinating and reframing procrastination as not laziness, but it's, it comes from a root of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so I was just sitting there in it, in the frustration. I can't do this. Uh, oh, it's going to be so bad. And I just wrote down in my journal, I was like, what am I afraid of? I'm afraid of failing. Mm -hmm. What's the worst thing that could happen? They could decide not to publish the chapter and I would feel rejection. And it would be a rejection of my work and not myself. And once I fully let that integrate within myself, then I was able to move forward. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about maybe reflecting a little bit on the ways in which you see, specific ways you see folks getting in their way and mm -hmm. how you language empowering them to get past that obstacle they put in their own way? Um. Without like, I mean, I'm, I just, I had a, I've had a clear example in my head right now. Um, I don't want, I'm not going to put anybody like, totally. I don't want to put anybody out there. Yes, so I'll just, I'll, as a general whole, like, let's say I'm in a rehearsal room with someone, right? Someone really talented. Someone's great. Someone is, you know, should have proven to themselves time and time again that they've been cast over and over again. They're talented. They're talented. They're talented. We're just, that is the type of being we are, right? We're always wondering, like, or always questioning or always you know, hoping or whatever it is. And we take these notes, right? We get notes. Notes are not a, not proof that you are not talented. Because <laughs> if you're questioning it, when you get notes, those become proof that you're not talented, right? That you're the least talented in the room if you're getting the most notes, mm. right? So, and I wa I'll watch that. Like, and I'll, I'll like basically watch people take kind of keep track of how many notes they're getting in the room, right? Wow. And like that, because for a subjective thing, art we do, we have, we're always looking for ways to make it, you know, objective. Like we're like, we're right. like oh, we're like putting it. And so I'm watching that, right? And then, and there, this person's getting these notes, this notes, this notes, the, but the, the, the underlying, the underlying theme of the, every single note is you're enough. You're enough. Because we also want to yeah. put stuff on top of ourselves when really we are storytellers. We are being hired because we, they, somebody, the director, the producer, the whoever, believe that we were the right person to tell that story as authentically as possible, whether it's comedy, whether, whatever it is, coming from an honest place, right? And if you're the right person to tell that story, you have to trust that you're the right person. When you're, yes, we're actors, but we're not actors that wear a full suit of armor like it's not we're we're sharing our hearts right we're we're sharing pieces of ourselves through the lens of this other character and but it's not about us it's about the story but we like to make it about us all the time right so <laughs> but it, it's like you're enough you're enough you're enough basically just wanting the person to just sort of let it sit let it root let it come like let it come from the ground and just be, know that, just trust it. You don't have to put any, you're, maybe it doesn't feel like you're working hard, but that's because you're, you're in the right place. It shouldn't feel like we, we are trained to think that work should feel hard. Yeah. And it doesn't. 
when you're in flow, yes. when you're in flow with the things that you want, the things like you're in flow with the story, it doesn't feel hard. You don't have to be struggling backstage every th- every time, like making sure it's all perfect. Like it, it when you're in flow, it can just happen. You can relax and let it happen. So I, when I, I, I mean, I'm, this is me too. I, I can notice it in myself. Um, and, but as I've learned these things, I'm like, gosh, these have been such incredible lessons that have improved my craft, improved my life, improved everything that I've ever wanted, brought me more money, brought me more everything that I want, more of things I want, less of things that I don't. And so me learning those lessons, I just think it's so valuable to teach others. So, um, to pass it, you know, pay it forward. And those are, that's a specific way I see it. I think we see it in these ways where we think if we don't get in the right program or the quote right program, I should say, not mm. the right, that, but I'll tell you, like I, I was first alternate for Rutgers. I really, I plowed to get into that, that program. I wanted that program so bad. I was hungry. I spoke to them. I went and visited. I stayed with one of them and took classes. I, I went and I was there. And the second time I went, um, I got the worst email I've ever received. Basically, you're colorless, you're talentless. Um, what were you wearing? Um, you look like you came from the grocery store. Just like ripped <laughs> me a, a whole new asshole. And she was. I'll tell you though, like that was the best gift ever to me because it it took me down to a really dark place. But I I knew then that I'm like, if I can overcome that, I can overcome anything. One. Two, I got paid to go to grad school that, that, that very same year. So where did you go? I went to Southern Miss and yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a small program. There were, um, three or four in my class. There were 12 of us total. And, um, but I got to educate at the collegiate level. I got to take, I got to design my own classes. Yeah. I got to direct, I got to, uh, create pieces. I got, I had random connections with people that have, are totally part of my world today. Um, it was an amazing experience and had I, and I don't owe 40 or, you know, I don't owe 120 grand too. Yeah. <laughs> like, so nothing wrong with that program, but for me, and at that time, this was years ago, it was about a decade ago. Um, it, it was not aligned with me, but it didn't mean that I was not going to have a career and it didn't mean that I'm not talented and it didn't mean anything. It, so if that is a yeah, and sometimes it's sometimes it's like the universe knows better. It does. Right? It does know. Because I remember I was like, I'm going back to I joke that I have one and a half MFAs because the first MFA program <laughs> I got into was uh, Seattle University has an MFA in arts leadership. And it sincerely took me I'm a very go one of the first classes we took was this lead like arts leadership methods. And I forget what the method was, but there's one that's very much um, mapping who in your team is more relationship driven and who is more goal driven. And I remember when we were all comparing our numbers, the instructor and I were the two outliers and he was the most relationship oriented person and I was the most goal oriented person. And uh, a lot of that for me is tied into experiences that were reflected to me in my childhood that my worth was rooted in my productivity, or at least that is how I coded it and processed it within myself. And so it took, there were signs that it wasn't the right program, but it took, it sincerely took me getting in a car accident and the way that that played out in terms of having a final presentation the next day, um, for me to realize it wasn't the program for me, that I needed to stop. And it felt like a failure, right? Mm -hmm. It felt like a failure. I should have started, this was the thing I was gonna do to be practical, and it wasn't the right thing. And sometimes the universe knocks you on your ass because you're not listening. Mm -hmm. And so recalibrating from that a few years later, I did the thing I was quote unquote supposed to do, which was, and this was before I was, yeah, this is the year before I came out as non-binary, and so I was still using she/her pronouns and uh, presenting socially as female. And I did Erdas, right? And uh, for those of you who don't know, the United Regional Theater auditions. There's three of them each year. You can be seen by as many grad programs as pay to be there. Um, it's sort of the most economical way mm-hmm. to be seen by as many programs as possible. And I got close to a lot of programs that I wanted, but I didn't get any of the programs that I wanted. And um, 
And it was because those weren't the right programs for me. And the right program for me was going through the next year. I only applied for Naropa and very close to the deadline. And uh, I love the power of wait lists because I was waitlisted. And at the time of my life, I was going through a very traumatic experience and directing the flick, which was like a beautiful play to be directing while you're going through stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it was days before a really awful meeting where I knew there would be a lot of confrontation that I got off the wait list for Naropa. And because of that, I was able to go into that meeting being like, I have information. These people don't. I'm just going to get this over with, this unpleasant experience. And then I'm moving like four or five states away. It's going to be great. It's going to be a new slate. And, uh, yeah, sometimes the universe just knows better than you do. Mm-hmm. And I think it serves us to not have a rigidity of what the outcome looks like. Mm-hmm. And I love what you're saying about being in flow. And I love the metaphor of as artists, we are like the idea of we're radios and we just have to be tuned into the right channel to like be in creative flow. Um, I also love what you were saying about being enough. Mm-hmm. Um I got the chance to work with Jillian Page Schaefer on Heather's The Musical, and she's New York-based, but she's created this methodology that's Meisner in music um, and creating more emotionally authentic musical theater performances. I love that. She came into my acting one class last semester, and I've been working with these folks for several weeks, and she got things in minutes that I've been trying to get out of them (laughs) for weeks. And I'm paraphrasing here. I don't have my notes from that class. But she starts every class with a mantra that's something along the lines of, I am here, I am enough, I am safe. And so I, just the power of affirmations and those words and how you language stuff. Because I'm very, we would call this, I lived on Woodby Island for a while, we would call this a woo-woo kind of thing. Where totally. it's like a way of knowing that is not codified in like, I don't know. It's just like a feeling. More energy, hippie whatever we would call it having a woo-woo moment but um just the idea that we're mostly water and there's that famous study from japan i believe that they when they label different bits of water with different names like ugly beautiful angry sad and just the act of putting that label on the water made the water crystals form in different patterns Mm. and i just i always remember that for myself Mm -hmm. because we're labeling ourselves with our thoughts and our inner monologue constantly. Mm-hmm. And that affects us on a molecular level. Yes. And people forget that. And the idea of the tower card in astrology, the idea of sometimes you're in, you need to rebuild. And sometimes that means the tower comes down and it's a scary looking card if you've seen it in the Rider Waite tarot deck, but sometimes you need to rebuild. <laughs> yes. And I want to talk now about this post that you did. I love Y'all are along for the neurodiverse ride of this hosting experience, so have fun, dear <laughs> listeners. Um, can you talk about the paperclip image that you put in the Facebook group recently oh, from Tiffany? About, because that was so brilliantly executed. About how... So basically, there's... I, I posted a picture of this. It's a, it's a bookmark, but it's shaped like a paperclip, and... The gold one is worth like it, people are paying like fifteen hundred dollars yeah. for it, and the and the the silver one is like seven hundred or something like that, right? And I think that you know it was I was basically talking about how we need to, you know, don't be afraid to raise your prices, don't be afraid to to ask for what you're worth, don't be afraid to because other people are asking. Yes, it's just about the way you ask. It's about knowing that you actually deserve it. It's like for example, and I learned this. I really learned this through having a child. To be honest, um, I I was always one that would work for less because I wanted more competition like I wanted to beat some of the competition it was a tra- it was a tactical thing for the most part um and sometimes it wasn't sometimes it was because I just thought that I I should I should pay my dues or I should do this and I'm not and I do advocate for that too I do think that people need to you know do work for little to you know if in the right places if it's a place you really want like the like the the person you're talking about who got made friends with the the front of house and probably you know went and did other things for that right. company just so he could be seen there to Money is only one, is only an energetic exchange. Yes. You have to, you have to weigh all of the energy of it to know what its value is, right? But for example, if you are someone who's commuting further than other people, 
you know, don't be afraid to put that into the, into the equation and just ask for 50 extra dollars or just ask for just that, that much more, you know, stay on your toes because you're a business. And so people just worry about how that's going to play out or if people are going to think they're greedy or if they're going to, you know, cut them out entirely. And I think it just comes down to, you know, how you present the information, obviously, you know, with bringing the value to the table as well. Um, it has to be worth it, but you know, they might say no, but they oftentimes say yes as well when they, when they understand. And it's just, if you, and I said at the end, I'm like, and if you ever question whether what your value, just know that someone out there is paying $1,500 for a freaking bookmark. Like we are valuable. Um, but I do know that we are also in a, we're in an industry where again, the starving artist thing is is real. It's a mindset. It's a huge mindset. And, um, and oftentimes you can feel like people want to keep us there because they went through it themselves. And I, I disagree with that having to be the outcome for everyone. I think there is plenty, there is abundance around us. And, um, something that I also learned about abundance is that if you don't feel abundant right now, the best way to feel abundant is to go take a walk with a bunch of trees and, or stand outside and see the, like experience the abundant air because we are an abundant world when, even when we feel like we're not, and we have to just keep our mind in the, in that, in that way of there is enough, even though we see people struggling, even though we see people hungry, even though we see that we have to know that there's enough, because if you can get yourself in that lane of, of having enough, being enough, asking for more, gaining more. It's not about being, um, it's not about being greedy because we need more of us to see the, the, the positive in having more money and having more for ourselves because people like us need it so that we can help people like that, that need us, you know, and not be the hoarders of the world. Um, like we can take it and spread it about. Yes. But if we keep shutting ourselves off from it, no, thank you. No, that's okay. Just give me $50 or no. Oh yes, yeah, sure. I'll work for nothing. Like, you know, you have to sort of put a cap on that at some point and, and know your worth and, um, increase your values and keep going so that you can have something to stand on and have something to offer. Yes. And if folks are, I think it's particularly challenging for folks. Uh, I see that hesitation more in folks who are socialized as female. Mm. Um, and if you ever need uh, <laughs> motivation or if you're an actor or someone who struggles with taking up space, like that's a very human thing and more people experience, you know, experience that than I think are, are, are willing to share that. Um, I would recommend if you ever uh, do a go down a YouTube hole of looking at Lisa Volpe interviews because she is absolutely fantastic and she really breaks down. She has played more male Shakespearean roles than anyone else assigned female at birth, period. Wow. She's incredible. And she talks about the difference to see her talking about the difference between how folks who are coded socially as male walk through the world and how folks coded socially as female move through the world. Um, it's a masterclass and it's something that I try to remind myself of a lot. Um, <laughs> I want to, uh, put a pin in our actors with intention conversation. Sure. Um, but before I do so, if folks are not a part of the group mm-hmm. and they want to join, mm-hmm. what's the best way for them to do so? Um, well, it just depends on how you like to take information. We're on Instagram as at actors with intention underscore AWI. Um, or you, if you like to get things through the email, you can go, um, go to actresswithintentions.com, hit subscribe, and then you'll get uh, a monthly email that will include the, um, the weekly, um, sorry, a weekly email that will include the weekly mini workshop series that we have that Woodzik is actually going to be part of on Monday at 10 a.m., which is live. We do the lives within the Facebook group, so you can also um, request to join Actors with Intentions on Facebook, and we will obviously uh, let you in there. It's not to be part of our group. There is no, like, monthly fee. There's nothing (laughs) like that. It's all free. Um, I do, and there are courses that I have created that have already gone out and that will be 
be created that are offered in there that are of monetary value. But we also allow people that if you have things that you like to share, that you have courses um, within our Facebook group, that is always something that you are welcome to share with the group because I believe sharing is caring. Like I said, I, I do, I really truly want more people to succeed and that is the root and the, the foundation of everything. Um, Actors with Intention um, is, it's all about mindset, it's continued growth, and it is community. So if those are three pillars that you believe in that support your career or would like to support your career, we are basically, um, I'm trying to gear us more for professionals and professionally inspire, uh, aspiring artists, um, just because that's sort of where we sort of push as yeah. we're reaching for more. Um, so if that, if you identify with that, we'd love to have you and hear your voice. Um, so we just have a few ways that you can kind of contribute and be part of the conversation always. I love it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I want to uh, get into James Lipton mode a little bit here. Okay. Uh, you shared some of your artistic journey, but what if I were James Lipton, if I was pulling a note card, what would be your first moment that you can remember that you really felt a creative spark or you really embraced the potential of being a creative in your professional life? I don't know why this moment always pops out to me because it wasn't a moment at the time that I ever, I, that I sat up and thought, oh, this is it, you know? But for some reason, when I think back on my life, this just continues to pop up. And it was a time, um, I moved around a lot as a child and I lived with my grandparents a lot as a child. Um, but, and I, and I was an, an only child for 10 years, which this might, you know, kind of give you the, the backstory of that. But I was a huge avid Barbie player, but <laughs> not a normal Barbie player. What I would call normal where, you know, you could play with other friends and you could make houses different and sure. all the things. I had one huge mansion. It was a, it was a through line story. They all continuously lived, right? So I was basically like the director, not the director, but like I almost like God, which is kind of weird now that I'm thinking about it. But I would be, I would stop and I had this moment where one in the middle of the night, I just sat up in the bed and I had to finish one of this doll stories. And I just had to get up and I had to start playing until it played out. And yeah. then I went to sleep. And I, I just, from that, thinking back on that, I'm like, gosh, I just have always been compelled to tell story and the human condition has just been something that I'm so um, obsessed by. I'm obsessed with why people do what they do. I love hearing other sides of the story. I always want to know I, this. I converse with people on the other side of the political spectrum all the time because I'm just so fascinated with why people do or say or believe. If, if anything happens, I want to know what kind of made them tick. I love... You know, it's just, I'm, I'm very um, passionate about that. And so when I think about what did it for me, I think it was just being able to have the space to tell those stories with my dolls that then translated to stage. And, um, and I wanted, I mean, I wanted to be a child actor. Like I wanted it so bad. I would watch TV, not to watch, like I would listen to the stories, but I was also watching these kids and I'm like, I want to do what they're doing. Right. I was obsessed with their ability to just like tell these other stories. So I knew it wasn't them. So anyway, that's, that's kind of what happened. And I just sort of followed the flow of it and became where I am now. I love it. I love that. Thank you for sharing. I had a very, I was, a, I was still an only child, but I think it, you experience, you experience childhood much differently. Mm-hmm. Because it's a lot more of an insular kind of existence. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, it was where in the world is Carmen Sandiego. was obsessed mm. with that. And I basically started school in the second grade. And I demanded, I pitched this idea to Elsie Wilson about our geography class should be in the format of where in the world is Carmen Sandiego. And I will be playing the chief and I'll need a walkie-talkie and I'll need an <laughs> office. And... Just talking about those people who yes and you at a young age, because it would have been totally in her purview to say, that's super cute, but I have my own way. I've been teaching second grade for 37 years. I have my own way of going about it, darling. But instead, she was like, that's really interesting. What would that look like? And to her credit, 
she made it happen. And I, I really credit her with being that person of, you absolutely can create your own narrative. Just have, you know, have the agency of what it looks like if someone is giving you that space. If, okay, if, if you had to choose, so if Barbie, if Barbie Playhouse is moment number one, what would you say? Self-created house. Self-created out of house. Excuse just me. Just so you know. It, Pardon me. Scenic design. We needed full. full service creator for many years. Um, so if that's, if that's moment number one, let's do a high fidelity thing and create your top five moments. So what would moment two be? Oh, God. Uh, um, I'm trying to think. You know, I, I, like I said, I just sort of followed the flow for such a long time. I actually went to school originally for uh, broadcasting. Um, I totally see that for you. Yeah. <laughs> but I really didn't like the idea of a lot of hairspray. And I really <laughs> hated the idea of people fully controlling what I would say and sort of what my brand was at the time, you know, in the, in the 90s and in the early 2000s, like there wasn't just this this plethora of information for you to see all the avenues that were possible. Um, you know, you only saw what you saw, like anyone else in the generations before us. And so um, until you were kind of gifted with the information, you just were limited. And um, so I thought, well, I don't want to be like that. And then um, I moved back into the theater sort of accidentally and then got scholarships and continued moving forward. But as I was an undergrad, I did um, a show called Pterodactyls by Nikki Silver. And um, I, we're, we're, we're friends on Facebook. Yeah. Um, but so I did this, this beautiful play and um, I, the character, I don't want to give it away, but basically she has this really beautiful moment at the end and um, she basically is surviving, tormenting herself. And this girl came up to me afterwards and just shambles and and she was saying basic like basically telling me that she felt like I had just told her story and it was like that moved me in this I was like uh yeah like that was the moment where I went that's why we do what we do and that's why I was like from that moment on I'm like right I'm not I'm I'm not an actor to 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 gain something, I'm an actor to give something and to spread empathy and to share these stories and to have people be seen for what they're going through, you know? And that's the, the impact of storytelling in theater, right? And um, what we can do because people learn through stories. We always have, that's our innate way of learning. Um, and then that's how we grow empathy. And when we do that, then we can, we can build more peace in this world. And I, at that moment, I was like, Ah, uh, like, yep, that's, I want to do that forever. So, yeah, that would be it. Absolutely. <laughs> I love the impact that we can have. I, I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell a story about me to give you some time to think about three, four, five. Oh, God. Um, but I remember the only role that I've revisited is, as an actor, is Little Red Riding Hood in Into the Woods. And I did it. In both in both of the productions, it was this thing of I was really gutting for the witch, and I will play the witch before I die. Yes, that will happen. Um, but I remember the first time, okay, Little Red, it's fun, whatever. I was in my mid-20s, I want to say. Mid to, I don't know, 26, 27, 28, somewhere, somewhere around there. And then... Uh, in the second, so, so, so spring semester 2019, um, they're doing Into the Woods at CU Boulder. And as grad students, we can audition. We don't get paid, but we can audition. And they have such amazing costume budget and folks, like, working. And so I'm like, I, I love musicals that much. Like, musicals are where I live. I love musicals probably more than life itself at some times. Um, I feel like musicals have saved my life as a little kid. And so I was like, I'm, I'm here. Like, maybe this is my chance to do The Witch. And Bud Coleman was directing, and he 
uh, was a dresser on the original production of Into the Woods on Broadway. And so I knew it would just be fun. And I just, I really love working with undergraduate students. Like I think I just, I just love it and hanging out with them. And so again, cast as Little Red. I'm like, okay, okay. I'm 33 years old and playing Little Red Riding Hood. All right. All right. <laughs> um, and what I loved so much was the costume designer came up with this concept that when Little Red has a transformation after being in the belly of the wolf, literally, um, there's some sort of costume, com- you know, like in the text, it's, okay, cool, grandma's going to skin the wolf, maybe my new cape could be out of that. Um, and so she came up with this amazing costume design that was a, for the second act, which was leopard print shirt, corset over that, red leather jacket inspired by Thriller over that with um, with wolf cuffs and collar and like bad badass bitch boots and leggings and pretty late in the game it was revealed that oh we're not gonna you're not gonna be you're gonna be wigged for act one but not for act two like you get to use your natural hair we're gonna do it in mohawk I'm like really like that that's great cool and hearing similarly to you not directly but that the box office got so many calls from parents that were like my daughter saw I just want to let you know that my daughter saw Into the Woods and um she does not want to play princess anymore now she wants to play little red and wolf and now she's tormenting her brother and um like playing with like the idea of this knife and agency and now I can like now that I've conquered fear, I can move forward. And so I'm like, it's just, just being a body in a space, in a role, in a storyteller, inhabiting that character and bringing all of your you-ness, that can change someone, without comment even, mm-hmm. just someone witnessing that can change someone's life. And I was just thrilled. There's a bunch of like little reds running around terrorizing their brothers. <laughs> it just delighted me so much. Um, moment number three. Um, moment number three would probably, I got to play this, um, this child that they be, was originally written for a, um, a, a boy. It was actually a true story that the father had written. It's called The Yellow Boat. Um, and it, it, it's a story about this child who died of hemophilia. Oh, wow. And, um, but it's written through the eyes of the child. Yeah. And it's beautiful, it's it's hilarious, it's adorable, and I think just, again, being able to tell a story that was real, yeah. written by a father, that gave it a whole other level of, like, humanity and authenticity, and, um, but yet, again, playing this child. So that, that taught me a lot about what it meant, what it means to root the truth into something that maybe you wouldn't normally feel is truthful, because I'm not a child. Right. Um, and so that was a really great lesson for me, but then also to see people's, you know, reaction to, to learning about hemophilia and the, the story of that child. Um, moment number four, I, I, I'm just picking moments that are coming to me at the time. I love it. Be, First thought, best thought. Um, uh, this little boy, I, I teach a lot at the Denver Center and I teach a lot in the summers and this little boy who is now, I think, um, maybe a fifth grader or something like that. Um, but he was a kinder at the time, his first year, he'd never been in anything like that. He'd never been, um, on stage, never done anything before like that, but he was a very insecure and very, um, um, nervous child and he was crying a lot and I was so yes like allowing him to bring his idea to the table because they create their own stuff so then we we kind of started there him and I and then we worked it up and then you know it was one line then it was two lines and this little kindergartner and then he then by the end of the two weeks him getting out on that that stage which is a professional stage by the way they go out there in front of all these people it's a lot for them and and he did it and he was so proud of himself, so proud of himself as a matter of fact that he is still there every summer. And I, we didn't think he was gonna make it through the week. So that kind of empowerment, whether or not he'll ever be an actor you know, in his lifetime, but it just being able to give you know, kids, I've, you know, I've worked with tons of kids and young people, yes, just that, you, that, that gift of freedom to be who they are um, I think a lot of people find themselves and that's what people are drawn to a lot in their early stages of, of theater is just yeah. this magic time to sort of kind of be and express um, in ways that we don't really get to otherwise, um, I think is really powerful and impactful. So I think being able to continue doing that is moment number three. 
Um, I think no, it was four. I think it was four. Four. Oh, four. Yeah. So let me give one more. And then, uh, so then last year, and I'm and I'm doing a similar thing right now where I'm touring with Curious um, with a show about um, Colorado's KKK. Um, and last year I did a show that was written by a local director, a local writer, um, and he wrote um, a show called Honorable Disorder. And it's about um, it's it's about a um, a soldier a soldier dealing with PTSD, but also it's set in Five Points, um, so it has a lot of um, it, it has a lot of gentrification um, themes in there. And I was the only white person in the cast. Um, and so we did it in front of an audience of five points and, uh, you know, the, uh, again, with a lot of the, me coming in from the outside, going to fix, um, him going to fix the neighborhood, going to fix something that I'm just being planted in was a very hot topic for this audience. So, um, to be able to come in there and I've never like they were just like, oh, they were just, I've never had an audience like that before. It was overwhelming and really, really powerful. And it was a moment where I knew that if I had not come from where I've come from in the part of the country I've come from, if I've not been through the things that I've been through since then, if I had not overcome my own um, inheritant racism, um, with understanding what that is, understanding where I, my faults are, where I can, you know, where I can get better, where I can be more mindful of myself. Um, I wouldn't have been able to be in that place at that time doing that work and having the stories to talk about afterwards. And that was a moment where I was like, ugh, like everything has just sort of led up to that moment. And I love when that happens. I love I, I realize more and more it's taught me I'm like, oh, I'm like a bridge, I'm like a bridge, I'm like a bridge because I've come from this very conservative world with a lot of conservative people. I've bounced around a lot. I've had a lot, very broad experience, and but that has given me all these little bridges that I can use to sort of bring people together in understanding and help, you know, tell that either through craft or through, you know, opportunity. You love that so much. Thank you Thanks. for sharing. Well, our time is winding down, <laughs> yeah. but the last two things I would, oh, three things, last three things I want to ask of you. We'll do them one at a time. First is, what is the, what is the piece of advice that comes up to you if, if you only have one piece of advice for folks who are listening and want to do what you want to do, feel very aligned with the way in which you move through the world artistically, What's the one nugget of advice you would offer them? You've given so much amazing advice lately. But. I hope so. I hope there's been a nugget of something. But I think the overall thing I, I want everyone to know is that everything is figureoutable. 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 It's not a word, but it, you, can <laughs> fig, you can figure anything out. If you want something, you can figure anything out. If you need money for something, you can figure it out. It, I mean, time, time is only a part of the puzzle, but you will figure it out if you just decide you're going to do that. I love it. And then the next of the last three things, where can, you've talked about it a little bit more, but where is, where are the best ways online for folks to find your work, find out about what you're doing? How can folks connect with you online? Facebook is probably the most, the quickest, easiest way to connect with me. Um, and then of course, actorswithintention.com. Um, I'm always there, especially in the group. Um, you can find me there. Awesome. So before we, the final ask I have of you, which is a line, a single line, it doesn't have to be yours, it can be someone else's from the secretary. Uh, we'll have the link in the episode description, one of many links with all the juicy goodness that we've discussed in this episode, um, so that you can get your tickets to come see the secretary at Curious. It's selling really well, y'all, so don't, don't sit on this too long. Um, and don't forget your first time, use yes. first time, code first time to come. Um, yes, a single line to take us out on. Besides cool your tacos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I think it, one of my lines is, he's, someone says that the gun, that it, the gun did it, it's the gun's fault. And I think what a lovely thought the gun's fault not the person because that means that everyone is good and happy and I think that that is something to think about is that 
whether I think that's a question that you get to come and decide is, you know, is it, is it, or is it the guns? Is it the people? And who, who, who should have a gun and who gets to, who, who gets to decide who gets to have a gun? Yeah, I went, I run very warm as a human. I got chills when you said that line. So ugh, the invitation, I love it. Thank you so much for Thank being you. the first it guest. It was so good to meet you too. Yes. We're meeting for the first time, so that's exciting. Recording. It's been recording. <laughs> you've you've witnessed this, dear listeners. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It was fun.